Lowe, and welcome to Unabashed Book Snobbery, the podcast where we gush about George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and gripe about its garnished adaptation, Game of Thrones. This is where being a book snob is a good thing. My name is Kylie, and here with me is Julia. Hello, everyone. The two of us write for thefandamentals.com yes, for Fundamentally Sound Fandom Analysis, where we have all sorts of uh, news, reviews, analysis pieces of geeky media, movies, uh, you know, all that kind of good stuff. If you have been listening to our feed, this Unabashed Book Snobbery feed, you mm-hmm. will know that we have been avidly following the latest seasons of Game of Thrones. I I suppose that's a heckily accurate description of what we've been doing. (laughs) Avid, I think so. Uh, We, of course, really very much appreciated Caroline coming on Mm -hmm. with us and recording all seven episodes. We want to have her back. Uh, If nothing else, to have an episode about Cheryl's battle card again. (laughs) But, (laughs) hey, hey, Julia, guess what? We survived Game of Thrones Season 7. We did, technically. We have two years, probably, <gasps> before it comes back. Okay, so the good news is we don't have to deal with it for two years. The bad news is there's going to be two years before it's over. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I'd actually rather just rip the bandit off. You yeah, know? get it the fuck over with so we can mm. get on with our lives. But, you know, we're going to have lots of... Because we have so much time, we're going to have, uh, you know, our, our pieces looking back at the season as a whole for anyone who's followed our work before. There's this retrospective series. Yeah, we're going to have our... four this time, right? We decided. Yes. Last year we had like fucking 12. Like it was crazy. I'm pretty sure we can't have any more than that. Because yeah, like, even if we did one. to talk about. <laughs> no, even if we did one for every character, like, you know, describe to me Sam's arc. <laughs> like. <laughs> You could, you could write it in three paragraphs. I mean, we have a title for that one already, so. Sam drops out of Hogwarts? Fuck this shit, I'm out. <laughs> oh, right. Oh my god, I forgot I did that. <laughs> I was gonna say. Um, but yeah, just because we have so much time to play with this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. we're also gonna have the Carol Awards, that's gonna yeah. be a big thing coming up, and we're excited to really look back and see the award-winning content of the season. And uh, our book snap glossary still needs an update, all that it good does. stuff. We decided for our first podcast back, we're just going to do an open inbox hour. These are asks that have been submitted to my Tumblr, GOT Gifts and Musings. Everybody knows better than to send them to me. <laughs> yeah, at this point, the cultural vacuum hasn't been on in a while. Well, I, I like update my fic on it, and that's really about it. And you reblog the gift caps I do of your fanfic? Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Uh, and then useful dash activity. You know what? Let's not talk about useful dash activity because I get more tell guilt about it. You know, would it kill you to post your needlework? What? I don't have time for needlework anymore. I know. She said as she's stitching a doll sweater while we record. Okay, this is for a little girl who's concerned about her doll being cold. So. Yeah, I mean, this Canadian winter's man. Like, what are you going to do? Run around gloveless while pulling a sled? That would be really dumb. Ayo. Okay. Anyway, these these asks are only show-focused. I actually mm-hmm. didn't pull any A Song of Ice and Fire asks. At least I don't think I did. 
Uh, obviously, we will be probably mentioning the books here and there, but for the most part, it's just going to be looking back over that dramatic satisfaction that the seven weeks of season seven gave us. And then moving forward, we're going to have some A Song of Ice and Fire episodes planned for you. Uh, we would love to have Gretchen back on as a yes. guest. We're we also looking to have, if anyone has listened to Danzy reviews or watched them on YouTube, uh, she's going to be a guest and we're going to be a guest on her thing as well. Because I'm very excited about that. She, I am too. She thinks it's a good idea to let us talk about Martels. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh no. Doesn't know what she's in for. Yeah, and and uh, I wouldn't mind having just guests in general. Yeah, because you're just I, sick I, of me, right? Oh yeah, totally. That's it. No, no, no. I had I just had fun during the season <laughs> uh, recording it. I think it's nice. She's storing up all her resentment. Oh my god! What's, what's disturbing <laughs> is that Julia's only half kidding here because she secretly is scared that I'm like I've got a foot out the door before we, to record this. I'm a little like, hey. insecure. We were scheduling this to record, and I was like, hey, Julia, we should chat on Friday. And she's like, oh, are you breaking up with me? <laughs> oh, my God. Lady. Anyway. You ready you to dive into some masks? I in, like, my actual relationships. Okay. I yes, I am ready. All right, dear. I will read the first one. Just so you know, Julia has not seen any of these before. No. And I sort of have. All right. Anonymous said, out of every character, who do you guys think got screwed over the most by D&D? As an adaptation or as a character? Let's answer both. Okay. As an adaptation, I mean, I still have to go with Filaria. <laughs> I mean, just like the level of, like, it's, she's a very simple character with a very simple point in the books. <laughs> right? So, like, there's only, like, one, like, quality of Ilaria Sand that's important. <laughs> right that it's she's that she's revenge. that she's compassionate and she wants to start the cycle of stop the cycle of violence that's the only thing about her that you have to get right like you could take away her kids you can take away the fact that she's opens paramore but if you get that right you've more or less adapted the character right <laughs> but that's like the one thing that they jettison so yeah I, I still like i mean they fucked over basically all the characters but she's still the mod that they fucked up the most yeah um, as an adaptation, mm -hmm. I would have to agree with that. I mean, I, I can't really think of anyone they fucked up more. Yeah. From an adaptational standpoint. Don't get me wrong, I don't think anyone's good, like, you know, Jamie, Larry. Mm -hmm. like, that poor guy. <laughs> I don't know why he is. Um, but absolutely, as an adaptation, I mean, that's literally the thing. I'm trying opposite. to think of a character that they adapted, like, to my satisfaction. And I'm coming up short. Viserys? Yes. Good call. Ha. Yeah, go back to season one material. Ned, um, like, Ned wasn't bad, like, when you consider what they've done to everybody else. Mm -hmm. But, like, still, like, the lack of context for his arc is just, it was, like, it basically broke the series. Would you <laughs> say point. that Filaria has been the most screwed over by D&D &D just as a character ignoring the books? I mean, if I, if I had ship. never read the books, would I think that about that character? I don't think so, just because I don't know what that character is. Yeah. And they really didn't do anything with her. She was just, like, the cartoonishly evil lady who had the funny accent. It's, like, all she was. Yeah. I mean, what they did with her wasn't good, no. but um, the most screwed over by D&D, &D, like, God, I don't even know. <sighs> Cheryl. 
I mean, we, we, we talk about this all the time, how, like, her evilness is still kind of an informed attribute, even after she blows up a religious building full of people. I like her, but, I mean, we'll be, we'll be having more asks mm-hmm. about her, but yeah, she's supposed to be evil, apparently. And, like, I kind of fell for it while I was watching the series, but, like, now that, like, this, the, like, the season, I mean, but now that the season is over and I'm thinking about it a little bit, like, no, even this season she wasn't bad. No. Like, yeah, she blew up a building full of people, but other than that, like, actually. Other than that, like, one off day, and then yeah. when she, like, tortured Tyene or whatever, like, with yeah. the, the, the lipstick. Now, you know, in in terms of the most screwed over by D&D, mm-hmm. I might actually pick someone like Brienne. Okay. Because she went from being a person and having a plot to whatever she is. Like, what did she add? If you just erase Brienne from the season, does anything change? Uh, well, she did, like, you know, like, smack Larry's moral compass or something. Did right? he need that? Because his breaking point wasn't even when she yelled at him. Yeah, but that, like, made him realize that he had a moral compass or something. What? I don't know. I'm trying. Uh, I guess. All right. She was she was very well done. Good job. Uh, Sansa obviously gets a bit screwed over by D&D, just yeah. in terms of the, uh, brutalization she goes through. I'd say Theon gets screwed over, too. Yeah. Um, but they're at least trying to give them both plots. I'm not saying they're good, but they're like- Tywin was adapted well, I guess. Relatively. I mean, he poured I mean, his soul f- out to a cupbearer. Yeah, I mean, like, they forwarded him too much. Yeah. Because they liked Charles Dance. I can't particularly blame them for that, but, like, they should have more discipline than that, really. But, um- as, as an adaptation, I think he was okay. I guess, yeah. Again, pouring I mean, his all soul out to a random cupbearer. Yeah, all the things he other than the random cupbearer thing, all the things he did, I think I could imagine Tywin doing. You mean because they're more or less book things? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying here. All right. So, Reed or Sai said, For your next inbox hour, how would you have redone the Rhaegar Lyanna reveal in the last episode to actually address the reality of what happened with those two characters? And how would you have shown it visually to the audience? And also, just for fun, what costume changes would you have made to both Rhaegar and Lyanna in those brief moments we saw together to better convey who they're supposed to be? I mean, the costume's a little easier to answer. I would have like, given Rhaegar a different wig. You could <laughs> have like given- stole his baby brother's wig. <laughs> You could have given, like, Liana like, riding leathers or something at yeah, some point. I mean, I guess they kind of did in those uh, home videos from mm-hmm. last year, right? But she wouldn't have worn those, like, to get married. No, no. She would have had a nice dress. And he would have, he wouldn't have worn, like, some schmata like he had on. He would have worn, <laughs> like, th- this is the dude with the ruby breastplate. He would have yeah. been decked out. Are you kidding me? Yeah, he was kind of a peacock, I think. Yeah, like, even for a clandestine wedding, he would not have just worn, like, a smock. <laughs> So I can answer that, um, the reveal to show what actually happened between them. I, I mean, the whole reveal was so, like, I don't know what the word is, unmotivated, maybe? Yeah. That, like, I would, yeah. I don't, this problem is impossible to fix without traveling back in time to the first season. Is the I was going to say, I would have had Ned have his fever trip. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, it's, that's it's... what mattered. Like, every season, they're like, oh my god, we forgot to do this, we gotta do it now thing, is becoming more and more transparent. Like, but with I think the reveal, last, I th- yeah. they guarded it purposely. They didn't want us to know in season one. Which was just a kind of, stupid call. Yeah, that was kind of, it's kind of indicative of their approach to the source material. <laughs> and, like, maybe, you know, because it's so difficult without Ned's thoughts of thinking about how Liana was, like, had her wolf's blood yeah. and stuff like that. Because you've just got Bran being like, they were in love. I was like, oh man. Like, 
there's still kind of an empower and balance thing. Yeah, and it's still kind of, and it's like it was. It's clear, I think. I mean, it's still technically speculation at this point. It's clear that Rhaegar wasn't purely motivated by his feelings or even his penis feelings. At least not, like, just by Not entirely. There seemed to be a little element of prophecy mm-hmm. to it. Um, I mean, the like, other thing- fans would like, like to argue about what was more important, what came first and all that stuff. But, like, it's, it's definitely not simply a love story. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I would have had the fever dream in season one and have it get pieced together the way we're piecing it together now. If they could have done a cool animated version of Mira's story, kind of a la the Tale of Three Brothers in uh, Harry Potter. Or that have it as like a cold open or something like that, like the Carol cold open in season four. That would have been so cool. Yeah, but like, kind of like, the audience would be like, what's going on? Why are we back in time with these characters we don't know? <laughs> and then like, I don't know. That would have been that would have been a cool episode opener, I think. I mean, I think this was always a challenge to adapt yeah. to a, a visual medium, but the biggest mistake they ever made was treating it like a reveal in the first place. Yeah. Rather than just something that motivates characters. And definitely don't have the reveal being Sam and Bran expositing yeah. at each other. And in a way, again, that it means nothing to the characters it should mean the most to. Like I'm sure that's a fun factoid for Sam. <laughs> And Bran, well, Bran is a little more invested because, you know, that's his brother slash cousin. That's my brother. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> like, you know, this should have an effect on John and on Danny and on, like, you know, all the people who are actually involved in this fucking thing. Hey, remember how, like, Batfinger was uh, at Harrenhal for the tourney and he saw everything and we heard about it from him? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, maybe we should have seen the effect this had on Batfinger. Or was he already dead at that point? He was already dead. No, then. no, no. no. Mm. Actually, I don't even remember. I was too dramatically satisfied to notice. Mm. All right, moving on. Uh, Anonymous said, apparently Preston Jacobs is a huge fan of UBS podcast. He's mentioned us in a couple of his uh, episode reviews Have of we? the season. Has he? Yeah. Has he? Yeah. Interesting factoid. Yeah, look, if you listen to our theories podcast, yeah. we've talked about some Preston Jacobs theories. We have a very large disagreement with him in terms of how you would approach theory mm-hmm. crafting. We just don't view the text the same way. But at the same time, we've we've said this before. Everything he does, it's very good intention. And yeah. like, he doesn't really take himself all that seriously if you listen to his videos. Uh, his his reviews of Game of Thrones, I remember listening to his um, Winds of Winter, fuck you, <laughs> review, yeah. which was really, really funny. Uh so, like, that's that's very yeah. flattering. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm happy very to hear. Flattering. I'm happy to hear that. Like, people are willing to listen to us. Yeah. I don't know why. It's kind of. But at the same time, like, this is nothing against Preston Jacobs. It's just I can't tell you how many times I've had to argue against lemon trees and bravos, like the <sighs> the lemon trees and Dorn or whatever those theories. You know. Oh, I know. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just I think I think uh, with some of it, it's like. It's more the dialogue that results than any issue I actually yeah. have with him. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. Yeah, totally. And I mean, he's not alone in his approach to that kind of theory crafting either. It's just not what I find compelling. And stuff like the Dornish master plan gives me and Julia hives, so. It really does. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Anonymous said, we have, we have a couple of asks about. GOT's season 7 reception. So this anonymous says, I'm so pleased. In spite of still praising its visuals and cinematography, critics are finally saying that GOT is losing its edge. It's become a silly show. It needs Martin's writing. And it makes me wonder if this show, uh, 
would this show be that if if not for its monstrous budget? Um, well, it's the visuals and the cinematography, cinematography are, yeah, are still good. Like things like the mm-hmm. music are still good. So like they should be praising that, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, we have feelings about this. <laughs> we do, and I want to talk about that. Let me also read. Uh, Ackman Linder, I'm sorry, said, man, the general defense of Game of Thrones has gotten weak. Before, it was at least uh, they could pretend we didn't get it, but now the defense is, why are you against fun? At this point, they're pretty much begging you to leave Brittany alone. So that's more the fandom response, um, but different side of the same coin. Julia, do you want to talk about the critical response to this season? Uh, Wanna? Let's do it anyway. Uh, That's what I say at the gym. (laughs) Let's do it anyway. Um... (laughs) Yeah, like, so Thirst has finally started to actually be a critical response. Yeah. Which we should be happy about, right? Well, certainly following, um, oh my god, what's it called? Beyond the Wall. Yeah. There was. Which is what we wanted all along. So we should stop complaining, right? (laughs) Totally. But, I know, I think we have a little bit of, like, hipsterness going on a little bit. But, um, I mean, let's just admit to that. You know, confess our sins. But, um... Yeah, I mean, there's an aspect of that and an aspect of, like, it's not that different. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of, like, uh, when The Clone Wars, the movie came out. Like, the animated movie. Everyone was, like, talking about how crappy it is. But just, like, this is, like, better <laughs> than Attack of the Clones. Where was your, where was your, like, complaining about the plot holes and the wooden characterization when Attack of the Clones came out? <laughs> right? And... They, I don't, like, okay, so the white plan is especially stupid. Yes. I think it's it's more stupid than anything they've done. I mean. Is it is it more stupid than Larry the and Ron sneaking trick? into Dorne? Like, sneaking into Dorne and stealing Marcella? Is it really more stupid than that? Maybe you're right. <laughs> but, I mean, that always gets criticized. Is it really more stupid than, yeah, marry your enemy for revenge? What do you think? I think there's more of a chance of Cersei being convinced by a white than there is of your enemy feeling any kind of revenge from a marriage. Yeah. Okay. Well, so what was it about that episode do you think that did it? It, The sheer sloppiness of it and how they just baldly didn't even care. Mm. And then at the same time, um, Dancy actually suggested this to me and she was saying that this was the, like, big action piece, right? It's the penultimate episode. And normally the big action pieces, like, no matter what, you could be like, oh, this looks great. Like, this is p- cool. It lives up to the hype. Ballad of the Bastards was super unmotivated. But that episode was a stunning war chapter. So, like, this was kind of just less exciting than Hard Hope? It was. I mean, it was kind of anticlimactic. They were just kind of, like, walking around in the snow, and then they were, like, we're so used to seeing the Whites now, and so used to seeing, like, even the others, that it was kind of just like, okay. And there was no, um, there was no actual, like, fear for them, because we knew the Raven was wormholing, and we saw Danny take take off. Yeah, that's true. So, like, I think that was part of it? And, I don't, like... Was it more plot holy than anything else that happened? No. No, not even the season. And, like, the whole thing, just like, why didn't Danny just go with them at the beginning? Like, all that stuff, like, was What's that- this truce? Yeah, that too. I mean, is that worse than usual? It's bad. Like, I'm not saying it's not bad. I just, I don't, I, I wrote ne- uh, an entire piece on this. I really yeah. don't think it's worse than usual. No. 
No, I don't. But what, what's what's interesting to me is that, you know, the final episode was less obviously lazy, and there were more positive uh, reviews to that one than to the episode before it. Mm-hmm. But there were still criticisms sticking around. There were. <sighs> the final episode was really bad. Mm-hmm. Like, it was the most poorly paced thing I've ever seen. The culmination of it was tepid boat sex. Mm-hmm. I mean, this entire season just, like, I'm not sure why it exists. To quote my dad, that dropped like a beer fart. Boat sex? The season. That dropped like boat sex. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But another thing I wanted to talk about, because the critical reception is, like, there are some people starting to wake up a little bit. It's Mm -hmm. not mainstream. And what we're now having is we're seeing a lot of professional critics, too, just be like, okay, but I'm just going to turn my brain off and enjoy it. This is great. Yeah. And what we're having now is that on the fan Vision side of history? things. Yeah. On the fan side of things, I'm getting all these asks that are like, Why are on. you against fun? Why are you against fun? Where's your child sense of wonder? What? And, uh, dude, we never, this was always just like a fun romp with dragons. You're so jaded. Which, and, okay. It's like, no, this isn't, this is revisionist bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, no! This show was always treated seriously and intellectually and worthy of our time and worthy of those stupid Emmys. Like, I mean, like, no written smart political intrigue. That's what we were told this show's been for years. Yeah, like, you don't win Emmys for best writing for like, stupid, like, intentionally stupid shows. That's not what those are supposed to be for. It's supposed to be for excellence in writing. Oh, but Julia, are you saying the Emmys are the same as the fans? What does that even mean? I don't know! I got an ask about that! It means something to someone. Like, how do we judge critical reception if not by looking at the critical reception? And I mean, people were talking about what a smart show this was, even into, like, season five and six. Mm Mm-hmm. And to quote Michael, he, who was on our, uh, our our feed with us for, I think, Beyond the Wall, um, was like, I want whatever people were smoking who thought season five was good. Yeah. Because I agree. That's when it just became yeah. measurably bad. Like, oh, God. So, I don't, I don't know. I guess we're half hipster, half still confused. Um, I'm, I'm still mostly confused. Well, in in our, in the comments of my piece saying this uh, lousy Game of Thrones episode was par for the course, we had this one commenter, Fyodor, who was uh, saying that we had never understood the appeal of the show in the first place. Okay, what what is that appeal? Please enlighten us, Fyodor. I think turn your brain off in dragons. But, like, I'm sorry, no. I was a huge fan of this show. No, that was never supposed to be the appeal of this show. No. It was smart. It was, like, smart political machinations with the quasi-medieval backdrop and mm-hmm. fantasy tropes and some subversion with clever writing yeah no it's supposed it was supposed to be about clever writing that's what the show is supposed to be about right like that's Ned's what... head gets chopped off that is clever yeah and brave like and it was I guess it just there... had nothing to do with the show <laughs> I, mean, I guess there's some people who just watched it for tits and dragons well there always will be yeah but we can't act like that was ever the i mean i suppose like they've embraced that you could argue like they started off wanting to do a clever show but at some point they decided like we can just embrace this whole Tits and Dragons audience. And Is that's that just, like, easier for them? I mean, that's weird. Well, I imagine it's easier. And actually, 
like to be perfectly honest and, and i don't like to speculate much much into creator uh headcanons and stuff but from the interviews you know we know benioff and weiss were desperate to adapt adapt the red wedding that's like what they were aiming to do yeah. that was the one driving thing and you can just hear in interviews afterwards them saying they're tired they want to be around their families again yeah and that's totally fine but you know what they could have handed the reins over they could have they could have and they should have anyway we've been yammering about that for a while uh any closing thoughts on fandom dialogue um i mean like we have only ever engaged with the show as fans of the books and there's no other way for us that that we can engage with it i don't think like we're not capable of engaging in it any other way Mm -hmm. and you know there are people who argue that the books are meant to be like turn your brain off fantasy but that doesn't seem to be a consensus so we're always gonna we're always gonna be treating this show as an attempted adaptation of something that we do think is worthy of our time. All right, and then one final question for you, Julia. Yes. Where is your childlike sense of wonder? Okay. Um. Uh, I don't know. I I watch Look, kids' I, shows all the time. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this, this is never how I've engaged with any media. I don't really like firework shows either. You know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I like James Bond movies. Sure, Mary Kate and Ashley movies. That's my childhood. Yeah. That's my childish sense of wonder. Yeah. Okay, I I could agree with that. All right. Next question. <laughs> Anonymous said, "Is your niece white?" Anon, you can't just ask somebody <laughs> why their niece is white. I just included this because I knew Joey would be amused. Uh, I've been posting pictures of my adorable niece. Uh-huh. She is two months old today. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, she's perfect. The, yep, she's the, she is. Uh, I'm in. I've never met her, and I'm in love with her. But uh, to be fair, I am in love with all babies. But she seems especially adorable. I didn't used to be, but man, this kid. And I'm actually gutted because I just, you know, I don't have the money and vacation days to be flying across the country every time to see her. So I'm not going to be seeing her until the end of October, which is so That's not long. That long. It's so in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long. Anonymous said, I just listened to the latest podcast and I wanted to ask your opinion about something in particular that irritates me. With the finale, not your podcast, of course, your podcast is amazing. Sam is shoehorned in for the last three minutes, for three minutes, and first gets more emotion out of Bran than Mira, even though she must have helped him (laughs) to the bathroom in the woods for weeks. Oh, I never thought of that. Why did Bran immediately exposition with Sam and not his siblings? Like, Arya and Sansa have been there the whole time? Yeah, why didn't he tell Arya and Sansa about R plus L equals J? Maybe he did off screen, because he also told them about Littlefinger's treachery off screen. Okay, who made that fucking decision? That is, keep that off screen. No, that is the stupid, like, just from like a mere, like, like being able to follow the episode point of view, why the hell would they leave that out? Ugh. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. But why, I mean, look, Sam really liked, Sam and Bran really bonded, I guess. What yes. do you want me to say? For those, like, five seconds that they talked to each other, like, back in season three. Poor Mira. <sighs> she was friend-zoned, oh. man. She was friend-zoned bad. Which is hilarious, because in the books, it's like, he's kind of got a little bit of a crush on her, you know? In the books, she told him about our plus Lake was Jay. I mean, not that he understood, but she was just like, hey, let me tell you this story about your aunt and Rhaegar Targaryen. She understood. Are you sure you don't know this story? You must have heard this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I didn't even think about that. I don't know what they did with Bran. It was really tragic. I don't know what they did with Bran. I don't know what they did with Mira. I don't know what they did with Sam, so. 
But, I mean, Bran was emoting last year when he was the Three-Eyed Raven. The Three-Eyed Raven was emoting. Max, Max von Sydow was very yeah. emotionally invested in the Starcomb videos. So, I don't know what this whole, like, Three-Eyed Raven emotionless thing even is supposed to be. Like, it's a creative it's decision that does not make sense to me. <laughs> it's hard to explain. I mean, like... That's my favorite bit. No, that's my favorite bit, Julia, is that... She says to Santa, it's complicated, and she's like, all right. And then when Brad asks, when Sam asks, he's like, oh, it means I can see all things all the time. But I don't know that that John isn't a bastard until you tell me, because you read it in a book, or your girlfriend did. And then Sam's like, hey, uh, the can rules, you pop the rules, this on for us? Yeah, the rules of this are just a little inconsistent. <laughs> Anonymous said uh, in the same vein, if Sam's entire plot was to discover John's legitimacy, but Brandbot 3000 was able to hear Liana in the latest exposition visions tell Ned that her kid's name is Aegon Targaryen, and honestly, he could have investigated it further by checking on Liana's past, then really, what is Sam's plot for? Um, he cured Jorah of his grayscale because Jorah is essential, and he learned so much in the Citadel and grew so much as a character. He reminded us that there is dragon glass on Dragonstone that Stannis already said. I can't wait to get to this retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's plot, uh, Turtle actually wrote a wonderful analysis, uh, called That's a redundant. null plot. That's a redundant statement. But yeah, of she course. did. She did, but, uh, th- she basically said this is where plot problems go to die. <laughs> so, uh-oh, we wrote ourselves on the corner of the grayscale. <laughs> Let's just have Sam fix it. I think my least favorite part of this whole thing was that Sam said he read it in a book when clearly yeah. Gilly was the one who Well, maybe, it. like, Gilly showed it to him and then he read, like, he technically read the words. Like, he parsed them in his brain. So, okay. But it didn't seem like he was listening to her at all. Well, she told him, like, on the cart ride over from Winter Hell through several war zones. Or to Winter Hell <laughs> through several war zones. Yes. Where was she? Outside, chilling. They had a, sh- they, she was in the, uh, the establishing shot with the cart, wasn't she? I hope. Maybe she and Sansa get to bond. Maybe. They should. They can bond over how they both like to sew. I don't know. Another Sam question. It just occurred to me, did they give Sam and Gilly's book arc to Miss Worm? Two abused and traumatized people begin a relationship both out of love to ease a lifetime of hardship. Is this the next His Darzo Sansa? Good point. Uh, there's shades of similarity. I mean, Missande yeah. is aged up from the books, so certainly whatever she's doing with Grey Worm in this plotline, that can't exist in the yeah. books. So, sure, I mean, in terms of meaning and, and significance, yeah, there, there's parallels there. But and I mean, you know what? Like, it's moving. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're fans of Miss Worm. And uh, we're fans of Fat Pink Mask. Yeah. So, okay, I mean, like, I'm not sure, like, I mean, other than the fact that, like, these are four characters that are traumatized in one way or another, they don't have, like, much other in common. So, no, and even the way in which they were traumatized yeah. is totally different. Um, but in terms of, like, what we can gain from it as readers. Yeah, it's like mutual healing and mm-hmm. it's kind of significant. It makes me emotional in both cases. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's consensual. That's nice. Alright. <laughs> An- Anonymous said, so if the tension between Sansa and Arya was real, how does the resolution make any sense? How does Arya go from, I want to carve your face up to, you were right, I wouldn't survive in your position. How did Littlefinger's murder magically erase all the issues between the sisters? And in any case, why did Brienne have to go to King's Landing at all? To disservice her character by saying fuck loyalty to Jaime? Yeah, that seems to have been why. Um, Yeah, why did Sansa send Brienne away? The best I can come up with is that 
It was to demonstrate she didn't trust Littlefinger at all. So when he was saying, oh, Brienne might have to kill Arya for you, or whatever the fuck he was suggesting, mm-hmm. if that's even what he was suggesting, Sansa was kind of doing that so Brienne would get taken away as a potential pawn by Littlefinger. That's the best sense of it I can make. Yeah, like, that's not in evidence at all. The other option is that it paralleled John's invitation to go into a trap, and it's showing that Sansa's a lot smarter than John. But I don't think they realize that. But what does that have to do with her sending Brienne away? Like, what function did that serve? Because she was telling John send a proxy. Okay. So, All and right. Then she sent, and then, then she, she sent, sent a, proxy. a proxy. All right. I suppose that makes I a little mean, bit of sense. I mean, the real answer is because they wanted Brienne to yell at Jamie. I mean, the next question is why was that so important to anything? Because I think they ship it still. Do they? I, I, I don't know. They so ship just... Tormund and Brienne. I don't know. Anyway. Tormund um, is dead though, right? Do you have any answer about how Littlefinger's death made Arya not want to carve Sansa's face off? I think they had, like, a off-screen kind of actual reconciliation with Branbot, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we know that they had a scene where Bran told Sansa everything. And then Arya was obviously clued in because Arya knew what was coming in the trial. I don't think in the final cut we were supposed to think she did. No, but she was smirking. She's always smirking. <laughs> The best sense of this I can make is that, remember how Arya was blaming Sansa for Ned's death? Uh-huh. Now she knows well, it little was finger really Littlefinger's really fault? To, yeah. Okay. It was, it's a very, um, you know, your fault from Into the Woods kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but look, Sansa wouldn't have, you know, planted the beans in the first place if she hadn't needed to, you know, exchange her cow. So Exactly. It, I think it we works. can all agree that it's the cow's fault. I don't know who the cow is in that analogy. No, it's the witch's fault. Littlefinger's the witch. He's not good, he's not bad, he's just right. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna, like, fuck off like the witch does. (laughs) Alright, next one. (laughs) Anonymous said, Do you feel D&D repeated the same mistake with Littlefinger's fall as they did with Ramsay? Just as Ramsay was near triumphant and only brought down by a giant army he couldn't have known about, Littlefinger nearly wins, but is only brought down by a literal magical telepath. We were clearly supposed to be dramatically satisfied by their deaths, but the fact that they both died to forces and events outside their control rather than consequences of their actions ruins the effect. I mean, I think Littlefinger was hoisted by his own petard a little more than Ramsay was, because it was a direct consequence of him trying to, like, sow dissension between the Stark sisters, right? Yeah, and, you know, I think it's actually, Anon, I think I think you're complicating it a little bit, not in terms of, like, what you're saying is not wrong, but the whole, like, near-triumphant thing to be brought down, I think you can just reduce it more to shock. They wanted us to be shocked by these characters' fates. I agree, uh, Joey, that he was more, it was more poetic justice in Littlefinger's case. Um, especially because, like, he was on trial for the stuff he actually did. Yes, that's true. They knew it by watching a DVR of season one. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, all it comes down to is D&D trying to write things that will shock us. And you know what Littlefinger reminded me of the most? I'm quite sure you've told me, but I can't think of it. I'm quite sure you'd be able to come to this, too. Remember when Alaria apologized to Doran? Oh. Then she had a really nice, earnest scene with Larry, and she said that we don't choose the ones we love. Yep. And then she murdered Madison. Yep. Yeah, that's what this reminded me of. It's just like, we've set up this whole plot where Sansa is going to move against Arya. And then, oh no, she's not moving against Arya at all! 
that there was absolutely nothing that happened in anything beforehand that would indicate that that was the direction it was going in. Except like, Sophie so- Turner looked pensive. <laughs> and we were supposed to magically know that she was pensive because she's thinking that she can't trust Littlefinger. Like, we are telling you the opposite is happening. Yeah. And then something else happens. Aren't you surprised? Yeah. And it's like, what? why, yes, I am. <laughs> I am very surprised. As Martin said, it is easy to write things that are shocking. Yeah. Like, if I were to tell you that I'm not Canadian at all, I'm actually from Yemen, that would be pretty shocking. You know what, Julia? At this point, it wouldn't be for us. <laughs> no, but, like, all these, like, things that, like, everything in my behavior, everything that I say, the way I speak, that all indicates that I'm Canadian. But, oh, no, I'm actually Yemeni. That's, that would be shocking, right? That would be that would be a twist. Exactly. I, I, just really quick to our audience so you understand, Julia has a habit of, like, she just, cause, you know, she and I became friends online. You don't uh-huh. want to, like, tell everyone all this information about yourself. So there are just a few things she, tw- like, twisted a little bit. Not, not a big deal, like names of relatives. Mm. And I'm now finding out three years later, she'll be like, by the way, my sister's really called this. I'm like, what? Why didn't you tell me this two years ago? I'm not gonna do anything with this information. <laughs> anyway, that's all we're referencing. <laughs> Alright, uh, moving on. Yeah. Anonymous said, in the GOT analysis and articles for the Fundamentals, some of you guys have high praise for Lena's acting chops, often in scenes I personally don't find remarkable in any particular way. Could you elaborate? What am I missing and what sets her uh, acting apart from Clark or Harrington? Um, She moves her facial muscles. <laughs> I mean, like, if you had picked any example other than Clark and Harrington, I would have been like, okay, I see what you mean. But you pick, like... <laughs> One of the best actors in the series and one of the two weakest. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I got an anon that said at least one emotion is better than none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, I also, I, I actually do know what you're saying because, like, ever since she blew up the sept, she kind of has that, like, snarl, mouth open, what of our enemies? Like, you know, that kind of thing going on. Yeah. And it's maybe not that compelling, but she has range. She really does. Her Her face moves. And, like, the, look no further than her scene with Peter Dinklage in the final episode. Yeah, like, um, like, she could pull off, like, if you rewatch the scene, you could, like, you can see indications that she's faking it, right? Yeah. Like, she could pull off smart. that layer well thing in a way that, like, I can't imagine Amelia Clark ever pulling that off. Amelia Clark has one face. Don't look into fans. It ends badly. And Ken Harrington just looks confused perpetually. Can, God he's bless just him. just a mouth breather. God bless him. I'm a mouth breather. Don't bad mouth mouth breathers. You don't look like you're confused all the time, Julia. <laughs> I don't know I might. And he kind of is confused all the time, so it's fine. Um, so Drubble said, how is show Liana Mormont like book Cersei? So I answered and asked about Cersei's internalized misogyny. And yeah. I said, you want to hear something sad, the closest they have to an adaptation of Cersei is Lyanna. Yeah. Is their version of Lyanna. So they said, how is show Lyanna like book Cersei? I'm not disagreeing. I'd just like a more detailed explanation. I guess it's to do with her endorsing John over Sansa as King of the North, because Sansa's a woman, and women, aside from her, are assumed to be unsuited to rule. Are there more parallels? Now, before I talk about this, or we talk about this, I also got another, I got a non that said, hmm, Lyanna Mormont. 
despises activities considered female while approving of only masculine ones, has no empathy for women who are raped and forcefully married, makes impulsive decisions, insults other people. We need a few more character for Chase for her to be considered a Cersei, but we're on a start. So well, that's basically uh, the answer. I, yeah, I mean, I was being a little hyperbolic. You could add um, hypocritical, like she was convinced by Davos um, talking about zombies to join the Stark cause, right? And then she yelled at everyone for not supporting the Stark cause. I was like, well, you didn't. You were just convinced about zombies. Convinced by his folksy wisdom. I was also being a little, like, facetious. You could make a case that Arya, the show's version of Arya, is just as much of a misogynist as Book Cersei. Yeah. Right? Because girls are stupid unless they have swords. And she doesn't think that, like, any of the girls could have helped in the murder of House Frey. (laughs) But, like, at least, like, I don't know. Like, Cersei would have, like, called the Frey child bride dumb. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Or a slut. Like, you're remember, such a slut remember, for sleeping with this old man. Um, Remember when Cheryl had the, like, internalized misogyny value pack of um, slurs for everyone? Mm-hmm. When she's walking around on the map? She's a slut. She's a cunt. She's a bitch. She's a whore. <laughs> I'm just glad that map paid off, man. I, I had my concerns. <laughs> All right, can you read the next one? I'm getting tired here. All right. Um, Anonymous said, so you gave some mild price at Theon's arc, but said that they spoiled it by having him uh, punch that guy to death. I agree somewhat that it doesn't work in the context of his larger storyline. Keeping everything up to Theon's chat with Jon more or less the same, though perhaps with subtler dialogue, how would you have improved the ending? Having him resort to brutality doesn't work, but it's hard to see him convincing the Ironborn nonviolently, because Ironborn. Maybe he wows them with sheer determination? Why are you asking us to fix the show? This is the second one that's asking us to fix the show. We don't know how to fix I'm the not- show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure I would have had him convince the Iron. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's the point of Operation Rescue Yara? <laughs> you have nothing for Theon to do in, episode, in season eight. Oh, okay. <laughs> convince, convince Deadpan to go rescue her. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, what, how to fix this problem is not to have him leave Sansa randomly in season six. Yeah, that's really true. Also, it was like, 14 Ironborn he was convincing. They're the most important of the Ironborn. I guess. This is like all that's... Isn't this all that's left of them? It's like him in one boat. He could just like ask Danny to give him some Unsullied and do the same fucking thing. Uh Danny needs all her Unsullied for Casterly Castle. I know. No, I mean, Joey is right. All the significance in his arc went away the second he just fucked off Mm -hmm. in season six. Um, So... No, none of it works. It's not going to work. And I don't really think that conversation with John needed to happen. It was Sansa. Yeah. Was the- oh, God. Like, what is John to Theon exactly? If you're going to stick Sansa in Jane Poole's place, mm-hmm. at least fucking let something between Sansa and Theon happen. Not, like, romantically. I mean, like, something yeah. as a dynamic that's interesting and compelling moving forward. Two victims. Well, they did that. They did that in, like, that's when they were, like, huddling in the tree. Like, that's what they did, and then they wasted it. Right? They made me feel something for four seconds. Ah, the show. Yep. Okay, and none. Best guess is what the writers were thinking. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> As you observed, the, Lan- the Lannisters were so depleted by the dragon pit scene, it made no sense to bother negotiating a truce. In order to justify the truce at all, all it would have taken was the Lannisters to win one semi-important fight, so the audience could see they're not done yet. It never happened. Any idea why not? I mean, okay, they could have shown that they're not depleted, or they could have shown, like, a deadpan actually making actual gains that she could have lost. 
Yeah, I think the issue wasn't so much the Lannister yeah. injuries. It was that it was that Deadpan didn't have anything. I mean, like maybe Casterly Castle. I think we were supposed to think that she like conquered all of the Reach with the train attack. Like when she killed Harley, that meant she has all the Reach now. Who's in High Garden? I don't know. Like you have to put troops. What? You don't just capture a region because in a different region. You I mean, a bunch of Lannister moops knelt to her, so that means that all the Reach Bannermen have, I think. Except for the Tarleys. Well, uh, Tiffany's on it. Tiffany Tiffany sees, like, hashtag women on top, and she would bend the knee right away. Look, here's my theory. Here's my theory. Okay. So, the Lannisters take Highgarden, right? Mm-hmm. And they probably put the Tarleys in charge of the Reach, because, you know, there's no Tyrells left. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and so that means Tiffany Tarley is actually ruling the Reach right now. Okay. Yep. She's one to deadpan? No. So if deadpan fucks off, then Cheryl will, like, make trouble for Tiffany? No, Tiffany's already a a Lannister loyalist. Deadpan hasn't won shit. So, what's the point of the truce then? (laughs) Oh, oh, I don't know about that. I just think it's fun to imagine Tiffany and her imaginary sisters ruling the Reach. You're not answering the question at all then, okay? I don't- it never made sense. Why didn't D&D bother showing something that would have made sense? I don't think they realized it didn't make sense. No, but, like, what is the bigger problem? The fact that the Lannisters are depicted as being a spent force, or the fact that Deadpan doesn't seem to have made any gains? <laughs> How are both true? This is so bad. Well, they could have, like, you know, just fought each other to a point where they're both kind of fucked. Isn't the idea that, like, San- Deadpan was laying siege on King's Landing, right? That's been going on? Has it? I mean, she seems to have been, because, like, the Unsullied were there, like, before the negotiations, which I think is rude. Like, Cheryl invited her to a parley, and she brings an army. The Unsullied had come from Casterly Castle, though. I think that's what we decided, yeah. But part of Tyrion's terrible plan was that they're going to lay siege to the city, because starving a city is more humane than attacking. But did they ever actually do that? I don't know with what the dothraki maybe but the whole thing was that they didn't want foreigners involved yeah because th- that's why they sent that fleet that got that right because it was su- right it was supposed to be the pornish that were laying siege. the pornish and the tyrells yeah and then they all disappeared they got defeated by huron be- and larry yeah so so no i, I i'm wrong they uh <laughs> Is one flowchart sufficient is the real question. <laughs> well, we have to have multiple flowcharts. Interlocking flowcharts. Oh my god. So what I was the question? The, the question was, why didn't D&D write something that made sense for a truce to exist? Because they the don't need don't to and exists. they're still going to be successful. That's why they didn't do it. They don't have to put the effort in because they get rewarded for their shitty effort. Next yeah. question. <laughs> uh, Anonymous said Cheryl seemed pretty reasonable to me. Cersei could have been selfish and not given a fuck about the fate of the human race and simply refused. Instead, all she asked was that Jon not join Danny when the war with the South resumed. This is a minimal request in return for basically giving up any chance to gain leverages in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Take away the one enemy who already has the larger dragon, uh, who has the larger army and two dragons. It's totally reasonable. Instead, John goes full with, I support my queen anyway. I mean, really, why did he even bother trying to negotiate with her if he couldn't have anything to offer her? What's the point of a short-term truce that is entirely against the side you're requesting it from? 
It was Cheryl's one and only demand, and it would have had no effect on the so-called only will that matters. And he wouldn't even consider it. What a dick move. Well, like, it's framed as he wouldn't consider it because he's already pledged his loyalty to Deadpan. So that means that he would have to support her claim to the Iron Throne, right? Yeah, and actually, um, there's a, uh... This, there's an, another Anon that said, when did Johnny Snow develop the attitude of you must never tell lies and always keep your word? Yeah. I assume it might have been sometime after he lied and went undercover with the wildlings, broke his Night's Watch vow with Degret, deserted the Night's Watch entirely, then broke his word to the Northerners by bending the knee to Danny? Yeah, it must have been, it's, it's when they decided to like really hammer home this Ned parallel for some reason that we can't fathom. After learning that he's not, yeah, right. Yeah, um, but, yeah, like, I mean, just like from the point of view of Westerosi politics, it's possible to be somebody's bannerman and not militarily support them in a particular case. Especially yeah. when it's like a civil war-like situation. Yeah. Like, you know, like, the veil never, has never, like, broken with the Iron Throne, but that doesn't mean that they supported the Iron Throne during the War of the Five Kings. They just kind of stayed out of it. So, You know, like... Yeah. What I'm kind of struggling with, and I, I, I'm not trying to be like, you know, this is you know, this is kind of ignoring the fact that we know that Cheryl wasn't sincere. In retrospect, <laughs> let's, yeah, yeah, let's ignore like, that aspect. Here, here's, but this is my issue that I'm running into, Joy, is that like I'm not trying to be like those fans who would watch Breaking Bad and root for Walter, you know. But at the same time, because yes, if there is a army of dead things, you kind of owe it to humanity to try and stand up against that, right? I suppose so. But at the same time, everything Cheryl was saying was super reasonable. Like, even after saying she was faking it. I lied to Jon Snow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, I know. What a breaking point. Because <laughs> she was saying, look, they've got dragons. They've got a huge force. You really think if they can't stop the Army of the Dead, our troops are going to be the ones that make a difference? No. And then what's going to happen is we're going to be depleted along with everyone else, and, you know, either the army of the dead wins, and then at least we're the last army standing and have a better chance of facing them, or they, we defeat the army of the dead together, and then we turn around and get crushed. Yeah. So why on earth would I agree to this? Yeah, and, like, once Deadpan wins, like, Cheryl is not going to have any support because, you know, she's a Targaryen with dragons who just defeated a mythical monster army. Right. <laughs> like... So she would get crushed by joining them. Yeah. No matter what. I mean, she's probably going to get crushed without them joining just because, like, the whole mythical monster army thing. But but this is still the better yeah. survivable option for the Lannisters. Like, but I, I'm not tr- trying to excuse it. I just think she has a really good point. I don't know. Like, it's, it's like, you know, political science 101. The point of any state is to continue to exist, right? Mm-hmm. And when you have, like, an absolutist monarchy, by extension... Like, the point of the monarch, the monarch's primary goal is to continue to be the monarch, right? Mm-hmm. And just by virtue of, like, the kind of character that Cheryl is, that has to be her goal at all times. But, like, despite the show's pretendence to be, like, a political show, like, that's what we are talking about, like, at the very beginning of the show, right? About how, like, this this is a show that has pretendence to be a serious show about serious things. They don't seem to be able to allow Cheryl that goal. Like, that's something that they're using to demonize her. 
because she's a woman. No, like, I, I don't want to sound... No, but it's exciting because John is being praised for doing the opposite, right? Like, he's, he says, like, I'm a king. You can't tell me to do... You can't tell me what to do. That's, like, a p- thing that he actually said. But then, like, yeah. he bent the knee to her. Therefore, like, he's no yeah. longer a king. He, like, that... He failed goal number one. Yeah. And he's being praised for it. So, I'm not sure how gendered it is. It's just, like, they, they're not giving Cheryl that space to be a queen. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It does. And I, I mean, I wrote that sexism in season seven piece, mm-hmm. uh, which was just published. And that's, you know, I feel like it has to come down to sexism a little bit. I'm sorry. I do. You might be right. I'm just, I don't know. Cause like Danny can't really like act on her own no. unilaterally. Like John's being praised for, John was praised for stupid kingship decisions too. Like, I think it's just, you know, you might be right. I, I mean, I think that at least plays into it. I don't know why. She, I don't know why Cheryl's being demonized mm-hmm. for being reasonable. I don't, and I'm not trying to just like leather pants her either. I mean, I know that she blew up a sept and murdered Tyene, but compared to what everyone else does on the show, like you know, hey, drop in the bucket. Everyone's violently murdered someone at this point. No, like actually, yeah, yeah, like actually. So, <laughs> um, forgive me for not being so disturbed by this. And, you know, her stuff is framed as survival. We're told she doesn't have humanity. No, but it's not. It's, it's framed that way, but it's not. Like, that's the story right. that we see on the screen. Everything she's done up to this point is for survival. Like, literally. Like, none of her actions can be reasonably seen as, like, a power-hungry thing. Like, maybe, I mean, if we kind of have to accept, like, the Marge as a political threat as an informed attribute, I think. But, <laughs> like... <laughs> Everything that she's done is because there are, like, these people who want to destroy her. Right. Right? E- including the Sept, including mm-hmm. the Faith. No, the, she did that because they were literally going to execute her. Like, that was their plan. And we were told that was their plan. And they did this and, and this and this to the- make sure that could happen. But then they turn around and tell us in the outside of the episodes that she did it because she was power hungry. Like, what? Apparently. What? Like, I'm so confused. Uh- I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how they thought they were going to get her to agree to a truce with absolutely nothing to argue. Yeah. Like, like, what? Why? Okay, that sounds great, guys. Have fun. Yeah. Have fun storming the army of the dead. I don't know. Everything about that final episode was really, really bad. <laughs> On Adam's set, I know, I have the feeling, you know, I have the feeling that this season we hardly have any character arcs complete. We haven't seen a visible evolution from first to last episode to any character in a personal and developmental sense. I think that, ironically, the only character is Jamie in Terra Bang. When he ha- when ha- he has been ignored since season three, and maybe even since in some sense. I don't know. What do you think? Well, Jamie did go through a change. Yeah. It was sudden. It was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I suppose that qualifies as an arc. He's a different character now. He got... He, he won a bunch of battles for Cheryl. Uh, he was told his son was murdered by Olena. Yeah. He went to murder Deadpan and got saved. Yep. By Bron, his one true love. Uh, then he got, he, he wanted to fight the army of the dead, but Cheryl didn't. And then he was really upset that she lied about it. Yeah. And he found out he's going to be a dad again. He's going to be a dad again, but he doesn't care about this kid anymore because he's done. Um, well, I guess that was development. Because he finally got over his I love Cersei and everything I do is to be with her thing. Remember that scene with Edmure? Oh, I remember. (laughs) 
Oh, some of the finest. Some of the finest. Um, Sansa, I don't think she had much development, actually. No? She was asserting her opinions mm-hmm. at the beginning. Uh, then she, when she was acting as Lady of Winterfell, she really was acting in, a, in accordance with the Sansa we had seen in the first few episodes. She kind of had to, like, deal with her terrible, horrible siblings. <laughs> uh, and then she found a way to solve it. So, I don't actually think she changed that much. Okay. It was fine. It wasn't good. But it was fine. Like, I think she was kind of consistent. But that's okay, because she was actually... I mean, she like, learned about how Littlefinger deceived her, right? Remember when she said, I might be a slow learner, but I'm still a learner? Yeah, that's Sansa. Slow learner. That moron. <laughs> Can they just, like, leave us with anything intact on this stupid show? Um, what did they leave us intact? Season one of Viserys. All right. Anon said, "Were you aware that Tyrion's ha- of Tyrion having <laughs> romantic feelings for Danny?" We heard. I didn't catch that at all, but apparently Dinklage indica- indicated that in an interview. We'll have to deal with how much Daenerys can trust him. Dinklage says, but he's smitten with his employer. How good can he be at his job when he's having those feelings? I think Peter Dinklage is um, a conscientious actor who wants to do a good job. So he's like, what the fuck is this man's motivation? Let me figure it out myself. Because the scripture isn't telling me. So you think that shot of him outside boat sex was just incidental? Um, I don't know. I don't know where anything is on this show. Uh, I mean, like, I, I think I want to kind of take back what I said to some extent. Because in terms of motivation, <laughs> like, Tyrion has the most out of any character. And his motivation is that everybody hates him for no reason. And he just... Like, wants to be awesome. Yeah. You know, like, his on his scene show? in the dungeon with Jamie, he's just like, you know, oh, my father was such a jerk. Like, he hated me for what I, what, uh, you know, I am, and none of it was my fault. I mean, he's had plenty of people kissing his ass for the past few years. I know, but they tell off-screen dwarf jokes, so he's a victim. That's true. Yeah. And he was a slave for three minutes, and that was super traumatic for him, until he was Look, randomly no- freed. Uh- there's nothing to indicate that he was in love with Danny. I'm sorry. Except for standing outside boat sex. And even that was like, it could have been anything, you know? Yeah. Or he could have been just like concerned, like, for the political implications of this, which is what like, I kind of assumed it was at the time. I, I trust Peter Dinklage to be able to convey mm-hmm. amorous feelings. And I'm sorry, that just didn't come across. There are plenty of scenes with him and Danny alone together. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. I'm. I don't disagree at all. Yeah. Why didn't Bronn, Anon, I'm sorry, mm. Anonymous said, why didn't Bronn take up Tyrion's offer to defect? The reason he abandoned Tyrion in the first place was that he didn't think he could beat the mountain, and Cersei promised him a castle. Three seasons later, he still hasn't gotten the castle, and he said the Lannisters can't beat dragons. Um, uh, he had character growth, remember? Uh, but and he got back dialed. He's potentially in love with Larry now? Well, I mean, I think that, next- I think that Honeypot actually makes everything make sense. He doesn't yeah, want to leave Larry. Larry. Well, it, it kind of, you know, makes the whole, like, why he's obsessing over Pod's dick make sense if he's, like, a repressed gay man, I guess. <laughs> and then, like, why he's always obsessed with eunuchs, too, in his jokes. He just likes thinking about penises. And why he, like, looked annoyed when Larry set up a threesome for him at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that Honeypot makes the most sense. Because the character growth you talk about when he used the scorpion to fire an arrow at the, uh, dragon... Those walked back in the next episode when he said he was done. Yeah, but he said that, but he didn't mean it. It was just like he just wanted Larry to, like, you know, he was he was fishing for reassurance in their relationship. 
Yeah, I think he actually is in love with him. No, like it actually makes everything make sense. It actually makes everything make sense. Yep. All right. Uh, Anand said the importance of John being named Aegon is that Rhaegar heard the prince heard that the prince was promised would be a John, but they thought he was mispronouncing. <laughs> and he he tried twice because <laughs> he was so convinced. John. John. Oh, oh, another kid named Aegon. Yes. If I name two of my sons Aegon, then one of them will be it for sure. I uh, I kept this in because a this is one hundred percent Julia's sense of humor. <laughs> I mean, she's still googling to me about maybe the real boat sex was the friends we made along the way. Uh-huh. Um, or why does Sansa, the largest dog, simply eat the other star? I mean, Futurama is fantastic. Like the Sansa, but, the largest of the Starks, not simply eat the others. But look, I have a story for you, Julia. Okay. Uh, which is that we, my brother and I used to play with our Lego set together. We had a lot of Legos, a lot of little Lego minifigs, too. And there was one, he was an adventurer. He had the airport t-shirt and a baseball cap on. Of course. And we always gave him a backpack. And he was just our general adventurer. And we named him Mike Me. Because when he was born, he had a father, see, with a cockney accent. And the mother said, <laughs> wow, our son is beautiful. Give him a name. And he said, make me. But he said, you know, Mike, Mike. And she said, Mike me. What a perfect name. And you and your brother came up with this backstory? Yeah. When we were like, you know, four and eight. You, you gave these kind of backstories to your, all your minifigs? Oh yes. Okay. Don't get me started on Fred, the uh, Exxon, the guy who worked at the Exxon station. <laughs> You'll have to tell me sometime. But um, or I think I think what was it Exxon? It was that um Octane. Octane. That was the name of the uh, Lego gas station. You love me. No, I'm just I'm not over this whole two Aegons thing. Well, I mean they never like Aegon? he's like Aegon the first isn't not. Aegon the Conqueror, but Aegon the first son of Rhaegar. Um, I don't think he was ever named on the show, but he was mentioned as having existed. I mean, they did mention at one point that Elia had two kids. Well, what do you think of the theory that Lyanna did this as a way of sort of remembering Rhaegar after learning about Aegon and Rhaenerys' death? I think that would, like, I think I've said this before. If she hears that her husband's ex-wife and his two kids got murdered and then she decided to name her newborn kid after one of those kids, then she and Rhaegar deserve each other. God. Oh, I'm going to name you after my husband's uh, dead kid that he had with another woman. No. Do you think they're, do you think they're married then? They were on the show. Yeah, true. Oh, man. So many good options. All right, another kind of silly one. Anon. Uh, which was more disappointing? Boat sex, Stark reunions, Ed Sheeran, or Scumbag Rhaegar, Zombie Dragon, or Eurovision? Boat sex. Boat sex, 100%. Well, I was not particularly hyped up for Euron. No. Um, Ed Sheeran, I mean... I mean, that was just like... Like, I'm not that upset about Ed Sheeran. I think it's dumb, but, like, it's fine. I think the only people who were upset were the people that had the potential to be immersed in the show. Yeah. I've also never been that much of a Rhaegar fangirl. Like... In A Song of Ice and Fire. I think he was broody. Yeah. I think he was dramatic. I think he had like, uh, I'm more, a little... I'm a lot more compelled by the relationship for Liana's point of view than from his. I mean, I, yes. I am a sucker for, like, prophecy stuff, to tell you the truth. But, like, in terms of, like, that relationship being compelling, it's only, like, Liana's side that I've ever found compelling. The whole kind of, like, 
why, desperate yeah, to escape I, from that arranged marriage and like wanting like being compelled by this like charming older man and everything like that like that i can find somewhat interesting but like from his point of view he's just like oh my wife is unsatisfactory and i have this weird prophecy obsession and <laughs> i'm the most privileged man in this entire kingdom like <laughs> yeah i guess you fine but zombie dragon um, i wasn't very hyped I've, for that <laughs> i thought it lived up to the hype of a zombie dragon. yeah it was a zombie dragon I mean, the, everything about it was contrived. The Stark reunions were dumb, fucking horrible. That, like, that's the second, that's the runner-up, I would say, uh, behind both sex. But I, w- I was so ready to enjoy both sex and laugh at it, and it was just like, man, they didn't even talk to each other. They did not. Why? Why were we even hyped for it? Are, I mean, are, are we that immature? No, it's not the sex that was. It was the relationship that was disappointing. It just wasn't. It just wasn't. Yeah, it was a relationship exactly. that wasn't. I think D&D wrote it to the best of their ability, though. Oh, yeah. That's... Can you read the next? Okay. The Dark Shepherd said, The amount of people who fail to understand Robert's rebellion after this past episode is astounding. It's like we forget that Eris started the rebellion by breaking the feudal contract with his murder of Rickard and Brandon Stark and overing John Aaron to execute Ned and Robert. But no, Rhaegar and the Targaryens are heroes, and Robert is the true big bad guy of the era now. I don't think I can roll my eyes any further. Yeah, um, I think Robert's Rebellion is meant to be complicated. Like, I don't think it's as simple as Targaryens are bad guys. Robert was a good guy. Um, like, especially with, like, Rhaegar was supposed to be kind of, like, the hope of the Targaryen dynasty, right? Like, with the Southern ambitions thing and everything like that. Yeah, and he was like, yo, I'm gonna, like, changes will be made Mm -hmm. when I get back from the Trident, right? That was a whole thing. Yeah, and, like, Robert... Robert is kind of like the same trope, you know, he's that young, heroic king who was full of promise and then fucked it up. Yeah. So, like, I don't, don't think we're supposed to see Robert's Rebellion in those terms, but seeing Targaryens as heroic is also just as wrong. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I don't, yeah, yeah, the feudal contract. (laughs) Joey and I are not super... Into feudalism? <laughs> um, Imagine that. We've run, we've run into this a lot. I mean, yes, Ares, Ares was a really, really bad ruler mm-hmm. and a dangerously unstable ruler. I wonder what that's like, having a dangerously unstable ruler. Yeah, you know, my issue with Trump is that he's breaking the feudal contracts. That's... Well, like, part of the issue is that he's breaking all these, like, norms that the president is supposed yeah. to adhere to, right? Yeah, I guess, but I mean, in this case, this was already a system with absolute rulers, so yeah. it's, but it's, the parallel is not great. No, but feudal rulers aren't absolutist. They're not supposed to be. No. I mean, that's like the difference between like Dorne and the West of Westeros, really. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Ares started it. I mean, yes, he did. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's it's not really Ares. It was the whole system. Like, the whole system is broken because Robert couldn't change it either. Yeah, exactly. Um. And like something like Robert's rebellion was inevitable. It was inevitable, but so but was some. Was... So was somebody like Robert. And and Rhaegar, it seemed like there were going to be changes made too. Like I you mean, know, he would have tried. Yeah, um, Targaryens were not the good guys, certainly. But I think it's the choosing sides that makes everything horrible. Okay. If I can quote Shireen from, do you remember that? I do. It was about uh, the Dance of Dragons, right? Yeah, she thought it was poetic, and she tried to explain themes to Stannis, and he said it didn't make any sense to him. She's very meta. I love her. All right. Anand said, this is really bugging me, and maybe there's a logical explanation for it. I'm sure not. 
Danny arrives at a completely abandoned Dragonstone. As far as I can see, she only brings Dothrak in and Sully for Marine. Who is fucking running the place? Did the Greyjoys provide her cooks from their galleys? Did the Dothraki and Unsullied take over the kitchens? Would they even know how to manage an actual castle's everyday running? Did she bring Miranese who might actually know a thing or two about this? What? <laughs> Maybe it's the Pornish. Maybe. Maybe the Pornish took over it. They're, that's, like, that's why she looks so uncomfortable, because she's like eating weird Pornish food. I mean... <sighs> The idea that Dragonstone is just completely empty mm-hmm. is the dumbest thing. It's so contrived. I don't understand why they didn't have people there. They're like a token force, you know? Like, especially considering, like, you know, in the books, how important <laughs> how important the possession of Dragonstone is just, like, symbolically. And it's actually, like, in the books, at this point, Dragonstone, until very recently, was still holding out for fucking Stannis. Like, yeah. just think of that. <laughs> And like if they didn't if they didn't want to deal with a battle, mm-hmm. like I understand maybe why they didn't want to deal with that. She's got dragons. She's got no. Dragons, seriously, they, got they, the this could have been like where they showed that the dragons were like a serious military asset. Like just have mm-hmm. her sweep everyone aside with one of the dragons, or they all immediately cave and yeah. be like, "Yep, like, you are the rightful they ruler." See the dragons, and there would yeah. have been people reacting to Deadpan's return, and it could have meant something. Something. <laughs> It could have injected some passion into it. Because she'd be seeing Westerosi reacting to her for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we don't have any answers. You know what? Maybe Arya taught someone along the way how to run the kitchens. Because she's really good at running kitchens. Uh, apparently. So maybe it's like... I mean, that's canon, right? right? Like, Arya's better yeah. at running a household than Sansa's. <laughs> is that... Yeah, I she mean, can do she math. Did, she did cosplay as Walter Frey for two weeks pretty successfully. <laughs> Arya actually says that in uh, one of the first pa- her first chapters in Game of Thrones that she's better at running a household than Sansa because she because she can do math. Meanwhile, yeah, it's kind of funny that um, like in the show, then they gave Sansa John's a Dance with Dragons plot lines yeah. to like count the meat stores and all that. You know, <laughs> that is kind of funny. All right, uh, me Anon said, mm-hmm. "I can't wait for the surprise opening of season eight to be Cheryl's miscarriage." Oh, I can wow, wait! What a thrilling plot twist! I can wait. I was so glad it was cut, but I guess it just means they want to hold over to next season. I mean, like I, we talked about this at the on our episode review uh, episode uh, that I don't see that baby ever actually being born. No, but I mean, I don't see nine months having passed. I know timeline gets wonky. I just don't see nine months passing. Mm. Although, what if they need Danny to have a full term pregnancy? Right. I don't know. According to the spoilers, that might be true. What if Cheryl has her baby, and Danny has her baby, and then those babies, like, eventually get married? Sure. That that would be poetic. A little cherry bomb plus egg on the third or something. (laughs) You mean Magar the fourth? (laughs) (laughs) No, he has to be named Aegon again. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, You want to read the next? Um, Anonymous said, why does something tell me that they're going to make Cheryl's baby the Valonqar? This came randomly in my mind, and it sounds stupid enough for D&D to like it, so the possibility of messing up this prophecy even more terrifies me. You mean she's going to die in childbirth? The younger brother? That would be more logical, or the baby... I don't think anyone's, I don't think anyone suggested this, but, like, she gets pregnant again, and... Because then that person would be, like, Tommen and Joffrey and Marcella's younger brother, right? 
But no, it's, there's a really popular theory, not really popular, but there's a theory with a loud poster that Tommen is the Valonqar. Yeah. On the Western Historic Board. That's weird. And it always annoys me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, hey, if she dies in childbirth, it would also be poetic, right? Because she was so upset with Tyrion for having killed their mother in childbirth, right? So it's like poetry, it rhymes. I don't know what they're doing with Cheryl's baby. I don't know why they made her pregnant. Nobody knows. People don't even think she's really pregnant. Really? Yeah, there's like a bunch of people that think it was a fake. It's a fake. I don't know why she'd be lying to Larry, but she finally gets the dynasty for herself. Alright, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, we have nothing intelligent to say about this. Beam me up, Obi-Wan, says. Okay. <laughs> regarding <laughs> regarding we like contextuality. Regarding the incest thing, why do you think D&D are so obsessed with it? And why do they endorse it? I mean, there's plenty of incest in the Song of Ice and Fire, but it never felt like Morton was endorsing it. They like to be brave and bold. Um, I think they just kind of ship Cherry. They got really taken with Lena Headey. I can tell mm. you that. Like, that's pretty clear. So her and Nicolaj Costa-Waldo, Waldo Costa, I always get the wrong, Costa-Waldo. They look uh, really hot together. They look They're not actually related, so you're allowed to think that. Because <laughs> Julie and I both think it. We've said it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also just think they have no idea what they're doing with these characters. So, and then in terms of John and Danny, I don't know. In their outside the episode, uh, they were talking about how this is information that could potentially, like, bring them down. What, the cherry bomb? As yeah, no, 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 like, 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 uh, John finding out he's the nephew, that, like, that could wreck their relationship. Wreck the relationship personally or politically? Because of the, because of the incest. Okay, so they don't know the first thing about Targaryens now? Apparently. Yeah, because, like, that was why everybody was against Rhaenyra, right? Because she married her uncle? Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was their problem with her. Yeah, for sure. Um. Good God. Well, if you listen to Mushrooms, uh, <laughs> What was the question? Sorry, incest. We, we love the dialogue surrounding. <laughs> we love the dialogue surrounding Rhaenyra. Uh Yeah, the question is why Nero and Nero obsessed with it. Don't make us. Don't make us psychoanalyze D and D. Like, I think they think they're being bold and shocking, and then they are also pushing forth that narrative. You don't choose whom you love. Yeah. I don't know why they're pushing it forward in this particular topic, but like, they're uh, incest between brothers and sisters are not health. It's not healthy. It's not conducive to like good times like no it's not conducive no. to children who don't have debilitating disabilities yeah and like the socialization aspect is concerning i i don't know maybe they thought they finally were unendorsing it because larry left and maybe john and danny will react very poorly to it but hey let the audience think it's hot first okay that, that works all right let's let's move on anonymous said with the immortal fuck loyalty from Brienne, I've not watched the show in absolute years now, but surely it would have been, it would have made more sense for Brienne to reference how Larry had been loyal to Ares until he had to make a choice between loyalty and the right thing. And if he made the right choice, maybe he could have done that again. So last year, mm -hmm. Brienne was tasked with convincing Papa Blackfish to fight for Sansa. Yes. And she was told by Catelyn back in season two after Renly's death you can't avenge him from the grave and that would have been the perfect thing she could have said to blackfish to convince him to join sansa's cause and she didn't mention it she just kind of stood there looking dumbfounded 
that he wouldn't join the cause. So once again, there was a chance to remind us that Brienne was like a person with experiences. Mm -hmm. Just I can picture bath scene between her and Larry. He was Jamie back then. It was a good scene. It was a very good scene. It seemed to have, it seemed to have moved her. The answer, Anon, is because you're a much better writer than D&D. So it would seem. Good job, Anon. Maybe you can win an Emmy, too. That is a really, really good point, though. Mm. Like, out of all the things to convince Larry, maybe, like, the one great thing he's done that is both the source of pride and shame for yeah, him. Yeah, especially since know? they've been referencing Aries so much lately. Right? Yeah. Anon said, hello, Kylie. Hi, Kylie. <laughs> I'm sorry. So after finishing season seven, you're, you're going to get both of us answering too bad. After after finishing the season, I'm going back through season six and I notice something from the one stupid line that's even more raging. When Sam says he's leaving the Citadel, he says he's tired of reading about the achievements of other men. He's actually repeating what Randall uh, said in this dinner scene at Horn Fair know. when Sam tells him he's becoming a maester. So now Sam agrees with the worldview of his asshole abusive father. Great. We know. Yeah. This was pointed out to us. I'm not sure if we talked about it on the podcast before or not. Um, but I think, no, it was. Because Julia had a yeah, little bit of a breakdown I, about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I did. That is the thing that happened. Yep. Yep. So there's there's not a whole lot to mention. But, like, of course. Of course he embraces that worldview. Because actually by stealing Heartsbane, remember when that happened? Yeah, it was so he relevant. became Randall. And, uh-huh. I, I don't know. I can't get there. Maybe Sam learned how to steal faces in the Citadel, and oh that was God. actually him that got roasted. That explain a lot. I mean, yeah, like, we noticed, we <laughs> were pissed, and we thought it was stupid. Yep. Alright. Uh, we've only got a f- couple more now, and then some general UBS questions. So, Anonymous said, The closest thing Game of Thrones has to a running theme is people finding out their true parentage and being excited about it, no matter the implications of their conception. See, Marcella being overjoyed that she's born of incest. Gendry being Bobby B's cheerleader. The whole framing of R plus L like it's the best thing ever that could happen to John. Is that how it was framed? Uh, I mean, Bran sounded super excited about it. Well, he, like, because, like, the implicate, like, they say that he's the heir to the Iron Throne, right? I guess. I thought that Cheryl kind of blew up the feudal order, but whatever. Mm. Well, like, the implication is that that puts him into conflict with Deadpan, because she's supposed to be the heir to the Iron Throne. Well, if they are married, it doesn't matter. Except it kind of does. I don't know. I mean, John's an idiot. I don't really see her, like, listening to him ever. So, I don't know. They need they need a uh, Moors and Nymeria arrangement. They do. Yeah. I don't have the solution um, to everything. Gendry's cheerleading for Bobby B was a little... That was pretty badly done. Alright, another quick one is uh, Anon said, I don't get why people are what people expect to happen with Jon's new Targaryen name. Is he just going to be like, cool, I have a new Targaryen name, well, Jon Snow who? It's like, um, Daisy, um, Johnson. So just start calling him, he'll just start calling himself that because he's found his true oh, you identity. Think, you think it's going to be like Sky versus Daisy? Oh, maybe, why not? So do you think he's going to start calling himself Aegon? Um, potentially. Because that's terrible. Yeah. yeah, that's horrible. I hate it. I mean, I guess for Johnny, it doesn't really matter. He's an idiot. If he wants to call himself Aegon, then he can call himself Aegon. But Danny will think it's really hot. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, all right. I'm gonna bet that he still goes by John next year. Okay. Or, I mean, I really don't give you'll... a fuck. So, okay, go ahead and yeah, bet. Yeah, I know. But we'll just we'll have a bet. What? Well, what? What? What should I? What should we bet? 
I mean, I don't particularly think he's going to do it, so. <laughs> I know. I mean, we can make a bet anyway. All right, that's that's pretty much uh, all we've got for today. I mean, we've got lots of other asks, but we've talked around it. Any any final thoughts on season seven? It was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, it wasn't even enjoyably, like, it, like, even the rage that I felt, like, I didn't even feel that much rage. Like, no, I think the thing I was most enraged rage. about, I mean, like, the R plus L equals J, um, R plus L equals J reveal was, like, so dumb that I felt something about it that wasn't positive, but I'm not sure it was I think rage. I felt secondhand embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. and the, the only thing like I really felt rage about was that whole thing where like Sam turned into Randall. But other than that, yeah. like nothing really provoked much emotion from me at all. So <laughs> nothing isn't better or worse than anything. That's true. Nothing is nothing, and that's yeah, what I this agree. show is. <laughs> there was there was even stuff to find funny last year. There was just nothing here. What a pile of junk. <laughs> All right. So we've got two Dare questions. quote Star Wars in a moment like this. So Stella Mia wants to know if there's going to be Carol Awards yes. this year. Yes, we there are. We start working on this. Uh, yep, we are going to. We need to get the nominations out so we can have voting. But yeah, absolutely there will be. And these categories the are nominations. going to be stiff. Nominations yeah, if for you categories have any and... Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, like if you have any suggestions for categories, yeah. let us know. Send them in. Uh... We definitely love to hear from you about that. Uh, then the final one is Anand wants to know what is next on Unabashed Book Snobbery now that season seven is over. Well, I'd like to have some A Song of Ice and Fire content at some point. Um, yep, I kind of talked about that at the beginning of the uh, episode two. And Julia and I did decide we're going to do retrospectives. Mm-hmm. And we have four planned. Yes. So, which yeah, are. One for Winter Hell, <laughs> one for Deadpan, one for Cheryl's Landing, and then one for Sam that's also kind of like a summary thing. Yeah, and Johnny is going to be more in Deadpan's arc, um, from what we can tell. So that Capture the White mission. I mean, some of it's going to get messy because everyone comes together in the pit scene, but. We'll figure it out. We'll figure that out. Yep. Or we'll do it from different perspectives or something for like what they have. Uh, but Winterfell, Winterhell is kind of its own bullshit with the little finger switcheroos. Yep. And yeah, like the pick up Sam, like, like Sam's plotline and maybe other bits and pieces that are left hanging. Hey, do you remember when like Sandor got fire reading powers? Not really. <laughs> I know, I remember that was yeah. there, but I don't remember anything of consequences <laughs> happening. I guess they found that pointy mountain, right? The the, arrow, the mountain shaped like an arrow. Caroline was so upset with that. <laughs> I would thought it was fine. <laughs> I know what she means. Most arrow, most mountains are kind of arrowy. I mean, I think oh, I think it was especially arrowy. <laughs> Let's not reopen this. Um, and the the very very next thing you will see from the two of us, however, is going to be an update to our book snob glossary for season seven. We'll keep the current version of the book snob glossary. We're going to republish it as a book snob season six glossary, and we'll have links to it and stuff. And then the current URL, what we keep linking as the book snob glossary, will stay the book snob glossary. It will just get updated, and we'll like repost it or something. So. It'll all be good. Look out for that. And then, yeah, maybe our next episode will do A Song of Ice and Fire. Yes, I would like to. I like th- I like the books. <laughs> all right. If that's the case and you like what we had to say and you want to uh, spread the love, you can recommend our podcast to a friend. Definitely tell them to check us out because uh, we, we have such good quality podcasts here. You can also 
drop us a rating or review however you listen to this. They really, really help us get discovered. So it's very much appreciated if you can go into the iTunes store. Uh, what was the country you're missing? I don't, I think I just picked a random country. I think oh. I said Finland. Okay. <laughs> All right. If, especially fit the Finnish can go into the iTunes store. Uh, you can also check us out on thefandamentals.com where we both write things. We do. And we have a store with merch and the merch has some unabashed book snobbery swag. It does. So you can have a cool unabashed book snobbery t-shirt or a mug or something. Have a salt shaker on it. People will be like, what does this mean? You'll be like, it means the books are better. They do. Or it does. And they are. So. Yes. True that. So on that note, thank you all for listening to us and we will talk to you next time. Bye everyone. Goodbye. Anyway, the answer is... No, um, don't answer the question, Kylie. None, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't answer that question. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, I was just going to say, like, the answer is what what does it fucking matter? But, uh... Okay. (laughs) Jesus Christ. All right. (laughs)